Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K, where together we can reimagine GI care. Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kazewski, and we're going to open the show as we always do by reminding everyone that the goal of this series is to present you a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but sometimes outside of GI as well. In each episode, we strive to bring you cutting-edge information through a focused interview with an influential and interesting key opinion leader. Today, we are returning to the payer space to discuss how payers view value and how specialists can participate in value-based care. To assist us in our discussion today, I've invited Lee McGrath, Senior Vice President for Provider Strategy and Solutions at Primera Blue Cross. I've known Lee for a number of years. In addition to being a passionate, strong speaker, she is an innovative thought leader with extensive experience in both the provider and payer space, focused on payment reform and population management. In her current and previous positions, Lee has demonstrated the ability to build dynamic teams that thrive on building key relationships and leading complex negotiations. Welcome to the show today, Lee. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I miss not having you in the Midwest, but I'm sure you are very <laughs> happy out there on the West Coast. I and do even not miss the mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet you don't. You are not only Senior Director of Value-Based Contracts at Blue Cross Illinois, but you were also at one point President of the Illinois Health Partners, one of the largest clinical integrated networks in Chicago. So you certainly have seen things from both sides. I have actually, and um, I think, um, you know, as I mentor others and I have conversations with others, I think it's so important to be able to um, walk in the shoes of both sides of um, really complex problems in order to deeply understand, have empathy, and really know what the issues look like from the other side. There's so many folks I find you know, I'm both the payer and the provider who are, you know, competing of, quote, who has it worse or who has it the hardest or who should get paid for what or who should get credit for what. And, uh, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter. The, the objectives and the goals are all the same, which is to make the healthcare, um, to make the communities um, healthier um, and happier and uh, to really um, solve the healthcare crisis that exists right now. Um, and I, I'm, I'm really proud. I'm really excited. I really feel good about the fact that I've been able to see both sides of the problem and can have deep empathy for both the payer side and the provider side um, as we try to um, remap the entire healthcare system. Well, you know, that word empathy is so important today. We need a lot more of that on, in all environments. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you mentioned goals. And as a representative of the payer space today, we What are your major goals in developing value-based care programs? Um, So I I truly believe that the only way um, we're going to make the community um, healthier um, is to um, align incentives. Um, You know, we can't have a situation of... um, the payer wins or the, on the, and the provider loses, or the provider wins and the payer loses. Um, so when I look at value-based care and I look at the objectives and I look at what value-based care 
promises to deliver. Um, I really think about it as um, partnering in a deeper way um, with the provider community and make sure that um, we, we grow the pie and we make it so that all of our incentives are aligned and we're really driving towards a healthier um, outcome. The, um, the focus in most value-based care programs has been based in primary care. Mm -hmm. And as you, know, as you know, I practiced gastroenterology for 35 years and have been focused on leading specialists in value-based care programs at Sonar. What do you see as the role of a specialist? And what, what kind of role does the specialist occupy in value-based care? Yeah, you know, we just did a, a, a deep dive into some of our competitors and what makes um, some of our competitors um, successful. And one of the big takeaways actually was, is that the engagement at the specialty level um, was key to the success of that particular competitor. Um, and it was such an aha moment um, for myself and others in the room to really say, you know, aligning incentives with the prim primary care, absolutely, we have to do that. Uh, redesigning the primary care um, ecosystem, we have to do that. That's an imperative. But if we only do one thing, um, it won't be enough. It will be um, a, a small piece, an important piece, but uh, still a small piece. We have to engage everyone, um, specialists included, to make sure that all incentives are aligned and uh, we're working together. Because if not, um, then we just still have um, people on different sides of the table um, fighting and saying, and uh, one person's win is another person's loss. And if we don't move away from that type of conversation, um, we'll, just, we'll just never be successful. We just won't. Well, most of the physicians in practice today are specialists and, and they are like kids looking in the window of the candy store. <laughs> they they wanna be part of the solution, but it's so often that, that mm -hmm. they're not. Um, and they're paid on fee-for-service. They're sure. accustomed to fee-for-service and they make widgets. The more widgets they make, the more money they make. How do you, how do you see redesigning the, the payment model? How do, how do we bring these specialists in? I, I mean, I think there, there's no one, I wish there was, by the way, it would make my job uh, a lot easier, but I don't think there's one, one, one size fits all kind of a model. Um, you know, if, if I was to pick a one size uh, fits all type of model, I, I would pick global risk. Um, I think global risk is, you know, you see it in the, in the Medicare Advantage space in particular, can be quite successful in making sure all, um, um, all incentives are aligned, both on the specialist side, the primary care side, and the payer side. Um, so I think, it, it, you know, global risk is perhaps the gold standard, but it shouldn't be the only model. Um, and uh, quite frankly, uh, global risk works well when the um, uh, network is narrow or when there's no out of network um, benefits for the, for the patient. Um, and that you know, might not be attractive to um, many customers and many employer groups and many others. Um, and we have to develop products and incentives and networks that um, meet everybody's needs and not just that one Medicare Advantage customer base. Um, so anyway, global risk I do think is the gold standard, but it's not 
it's just not one size fits all. You can't just immediately do that. Um, so I think there are a number of other uh, creative ways um, to, to do something. And I think it, it needs, um, it needs to be further tested and it needs to be, there needs to be many, many, many more pilots that, that are going on. And we should be jumping into a number of different pilots to learn and grow and figure out what works best. Um, I'll highlight something um, Primera did, um, which sadly I can't take credit for because it, it was done before I arrived at Primera about two years ago. Um, but Primera put in place the very first RFP for services. So uh, Primera uh, dropped uh, an uh, uh, you know, RFP and said, hey, provider community, we want to do uh, total joint replacements. These are the codes that are going to fall under total joint replacements. Uh, provider community, uh, you just give us your best price and you give us your um, information about your quality. Um, and you just tell us what you think and uh, we'll award the TJR bundle to whichever uh, group has the best quality and the most efficient uh, price. And uh, then we will fly patients or drive patients with hotels and, and an entire package to that location uh, for total joints to be done there. And uh, it was amazing, um, almost, you know, you know, one, people were nervous that no one was going to respond. Um, but uh, we had over 30 responses, which, you know, I don't know how much you know about the Washington market, but uh, that was uh, incredible. <laughs> Pretty much everyone responded. Um, and they came with, uh, here's our quality metrics, please come, you know, a tour was required, you know, our chief medical officer went to every single location and toured the, the space and asked uh, questions to the orthopods, asked questions to the case managers, asked questions about where the skilled nursing facility location was going to be, etc. Um, we dug in on the price and we really said, what does this mean? Um, and we awarded the um, uh, total joint replacement to uh, Providence Health Systems here in, in Washington, and uh, they have about six or seven locations where that total joint replacement bundle can be done. And if you don't live there, that's okay. We will fly you in or, we, you know, we'll pay for your mileage, we'll pay for, you know, your hotel stay, etc. Um, and uh, that's all part of the bundle. And that's it. That's the only place you can get that total joint replacement. That's the only in-network option. That is an example of engaging specialists in a different way. Um, we went live January 1st. Uh, you know, you probably know the story here, Larry. January went great. Uh, and then, of course, elective surgeries, um, you know, were, were put on hold for a while. So uh, there, it's, it's ramping up again. <laughs> um, and uh, we're seeing uh, some uh, total joints being done. Um, and we've seen that in the last, I don't know, four or five weeks. Um, so I, I look forward to the results. I look forward to, you know, hearing from our customers of how that worked. How did that feel? Um, you know, they, they're assigned a case manager in a very different way uh, than if you're not in the total joint replacement. Uh, your hand is held throughout the entire process in a different way. Um, it has a really strong customer focus. It has a really strong focus on quality. And I look forward to, to seeing how folks 
respond? Is our net promoter score going to be higher? Is our customer satisfaction score is going to be higher? Are people going to feel more known and loved and cared for as part of the total joint replacement? And then a quality results going to be better. These are all questions that we look forward to researching and understanding. And that's example of, and I know it's not a GI example, but that's an example of us digging in and doing a value-based care program in a very different way. I mean, an RFP has never been done for services before uh, in the entire United States. Is that going to be a new norm? I don't know. Um, but that's a really interesting example of trying to engage specialists differently and having different results. Um, so anyway, just thought I'd share Lee, that. Lee, that checks, that checks a couple of the boxes that specialists are, are looking to be able to check. One of them being the fact that they take on risk, they live within a budget, but they get steerage. Yep, exactly. Steerage, because that, that really is very important to the entity that's trying to take on that risk and, and hit the quality standards. Now, you did that with a health system. Were there, were there independent physician groups that were competing on the RFPs? Yep, independent physician groups also competed. But they didn't so, get the they didn't they, get the the, the final they, selection. They were not awarded that. Um, they were not, um, and it was done super pure. Like we we totally nerded out on this. Um, they were all responses were blinded. Um, I still have no idea how others responded. Like we didn't know. You know, we said okay, the winner is Group A, and then it turns oh. out Group A was Providence. So everything wow. was blinded. We only had a small team led by a physician. Um, who uh, uh, dug through the responses. I still, as the person in charge, has never even seen other responses and known, know anything else. We were like, we, we did this by the book. For those of you just tuning in, this is The Scope with Dr. K, and I am interviewing Lee McGrath, and we are discussing value-based care. Lee, you mentioned global risk in this example with the RFP. And I could see why a health system would be better oh, fit, be a better fit for this because complications will happen. Sure. Um, and the health system will be able to handle all of those, all of those potential complications under that global risk umbrella. It's very difficult from the large provider group to do that. Um, do you have any idea in that system, whether the specialists are still paid fee for service or are they are they at risk? Um, so I don't know how they're then paying their downstream entities, but I think you're hitting on. So I don't know how Providence, for example, is is then paying the orthos. Are they paying now on salary or fee for service? Um, you know, that's that's their business, right? They're running their own business. Um, but I, I, you're hitting on something um, really important, which is. You know, let's say global risk is given to primary care or global budget is given to GI or global budget in this example is given to ortho. How you then, how that independent group or how that integrated delivery system, et cetera, um, handles their own downstream agreements to manage a complication or just a regular flow. You know, um, you know, if a, you know, do they own all of the skilled nursing facilities? No, they don't. So they're going to have to manage the downstream agreement 
um, you know, in, in a different manner themselves. So now you're really getting into, Larry, how the provider community is now kind of becoming, um, you know, I, I want to say the word pair, but mm -hmm. that seems like uh, a little silly, but they're, they're now starting to develop uh, contracts and payment mechanisms to a skilled nursing facility or to a hospital system to handle complications um, very differently. Like it used to be that uh, orthopod never worried about how much that skilled nursing facility costs because the payer held the contract. Well, if, now if you're in a global budget, now the ortho has to manage the, um, you know, downstream agreement with that skilled nursing facility for that complication or, or whatever, or for just a stay, not even a complication. So that's a really interesting um, dynamic. And you're going to have different skill sets moving between all of the different healthcare entities. So it used to be a good negotiator or a good contractor, quote, just worked for a payer. Well, now that skill set might be actually better utilized or strategically utilized in a provider. Um, and so that becomes really interesting. And, and I love that dynamic because I firmly believe that the more diversity you have, um, you know, from a thought perspective is what is actually going to um, move us to a better place. So you do, from listening to you, you still have some provider roots. <laughs> you still have them there. Um, so you see the providers in the future bearing more and more risk in value-based agreements. And where do you see the payer finding their niche? Are they just administrating something? Do you see the payers continuing to accept risk? Um, I do think that the providers are going to move to more risk. I mean, you see that with the, the quote, big competitors, right? I mean, Optum and Kaiser, I mean, that's what their models are set up to do. Um, so you, you see that. I mean, even if you look at like uh, Blue Shield of California, or you look at a Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois, who has a lot of quote HMO, um, you know, you move to more risk and then you just look at where Medicare Advantage is going um, and Humana and other large competitors um, who have um, sort of, you know, said this is where I'm going to, you know, uh, get all my margin as an MA. Um, they're, they're all in risk and they're all happy to move risk to the provider community to align incentives. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of talk, oh, our insurance carriers, quote, just going to be TPAs, essentially, and just mm -hmm. hand out ID cards or do claims payment, and that's it. Um, I'm not afraid of any sort of transition from the payer side or the provider side, um, because I think when people are talking about that, they're def they're, what they're talking about, actually, is that's fear. And I don't want to manage anything on fear. Um, I want the thing that guides me as a, as a healthcare leader to be what is best for our community. Um, and so when people say, oh, payers are just going to be TPAs. Okay, if that's the right thing for them to be, then they'll be it. And that's okay. Um, we don't have to be all things to everyone. And same thing on the provider side. You know, when providers are, you know, oh, I have to hold on to the telemedicine because only I can give the telemedicine okay, maybe, or maybe somebody else can. I don't know the answer, and I'm not trying to say one's right or one's wrong, um, but the answer can't be led by fear. The answer needs to be led by what's right for the customer. You know, as we push 
as we push risk down, mm-hmm. we, we open up uh, sometimes glaring inadequacies in, in provider groups and how to, to manage all that risk. And we've seen that with Sonar, um, where we actually have to provide support to some of the provider practices in order to help them make that transi- transition from dealing with one patient at a time to dealing with a population health focus. So maybe that's another role that the payer has going forward is in facilitating the, the, the transfer of risk. Yeah, I um, I agree. I think the the skill set, like the skill set I have, for example, is I know how to manage risk. That's it. That's what I know how to do. Well, if I, I do that, you know, I, I can, I can do that many places and I can quote, sell those services many places. So Primera can have a role in helping the provider community transition to risk. Cause that's what we do. We know, we know that we have a knowledge there. Um, and uh, that's an important skill set. That skill set is not going to go away at all. That need is not going to go away at all. Um, and that's what gets me excited in the morning. How can I support the community in doing what's right with the knowledge and with the expertise and what we know how to do? Um, and that, that's, that's fun. Um, that's rewarding. Um, you mentioned uh, earlier the, the concept of a narrow network. Mm-hmm. And I know from the ACO history that, you know, when a hospital system starts employing doctors, uh, the payer is forced to live with that, that pool of employed physicians. When a hospital-based, risk-based entity um, is employing physicians, does the, how much control does the payer have in refining that? Or do you wind up getting stuck with the provider pool of that risk-based health system? Well, I'm not sure um, stuck is the, I mean, um, I, I, I trust my provider partners. I, I, I create a relationship with them where um, we provide information about how their providers are, are doing and how the, the quality is um, being met and, and the contracts that I set up or the relationship and the partnership that I set up, uh, you know, puts, puts those expectations in place. So this is what I expect my quality to be. This is what I expect um, the customer experience to be. Um, and if not, I'm not stuck. I'm going to um, use data and transparency and carrots and sticks to make sure that the customer has the right experience and has the best possible quality at an efficient uh, price. Um, so I don't necessarily uh, go into it as um, I'm stuck. I go into it as I have um, an opportunity to partner differently and make it work. Um, that's how I, I, I look at it. And I think that if you put into place um, appropriate structures, you can, you can deliver on that regardless of where the employment um, exists. I see. I see. You know, you moved from the Midwest out to the West Coast. Are, uh-huh. there, are there differences out there in, in how value-based care is being uh, promoted? Out here, there's, um, there's not much of an HMO um, culture. 
So um, it's, it's, it's starting. Um, and uh, for example, Kaiser entered our market a couple of years ago. And so now there's a bit of an HMO, um, but that's relatively new. Um, and so that's, that's different. So in Illinois, um, there's been an HMO where providers have been taking some level of risk since 1973. So when, you, when there was a transition into value-based care on the PPO side, and I hope I'm not getting too annoyingly technical here, the, the, the words, we didn't, there, there was no need to define the words. So when I was in Chicago and I was able to walk into a provider entity and say, okay, now we're taking some risk on the PPO. They were like, oh, just like the HMO. And I was like, yeah, just like the HMO. And now we were done. We didn't, um, everyone understood, everyone was on the same page. In Washington, and we're also in Alaska, um, what's different is just the HMO entered the market just a couple of years ago with Kaiser. And so there, there is some education that has to exist here um, that's just a little bit different. Um, but other than that, um, you know, ACOs actually, you know, there's been some level of risk and some level of quality metrics and, and uh, uh, global outcomes contracts in the market for uh, a little bit longer, even than Illinois. Um, so anyway, it's, it is pretty interesting. Um, you know, the other thing that's really different, Larry, which I, I still can't really get my head around is, you know, Illinois, um, um, you know, there's, you know, kind of a recession slash depression that had been existing for quite some time in Illinois. Uh, in Washington, the economy's just been booming. So it's just been a really different environment about how uh, employers look at healthcare costs and look at how competing for talent is. That has actually been the biggest difference that I've seen between the two markets, um, which is just super interesting. And someone who spent 18 years in, in Illinois uh, took me a, a minute or two to, to get my head around. <laughs> so do you see more or less Medicare Advantage? Because MA hasn't really penetrated Illinois as much as I think we all expected it to. Yeah. Um, so we do see quite a bit of, M we see a little bit more MA penetration than in Illinois. Um, but I think some of that is um, United has a really big presence in Washington, whereas it didn't in Illinois. So those are, those are differences in, in the market that are just different. You know, Illinois Optum's not there and United doesn't really have a presence. So if I can summarize our discussion today, mm -hmm. you, see, you see care, you see risk being transferred to providers, mm -hmm. probably larger entity providers that are capable of implementing the infrastructure changes necessary to take that risk. You see the payers as being facilitators of that and, and providing support wherever necessary. You see, um, Maybe RFP services being something that gains some traction in other specialties other than orthopedics. I know the gastroenterologists would love to compete for RFPs on colonoscopies. Mm -hmm. um, so is that a reasonable summary of uh, your view of where value-based care is going? Yeah, I think that is a really reasonable summary and a good summary. Thank you very much. Said way more succinctly than me. So thank you, Larry. <laughs> well, it, it, we have to go through this discussion to get it succinct. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you, Lee. Thank you very much for being on the show today. And thanks to our audience for tuning in. Uh, you can learn more about the show on the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. 
and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at hashtag HCNowRadio. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at SonarMD. I'm Dr. Kaczynski. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join.